Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Just living the dream, baby. What are you doing? Uh, you ready to go back to Cebu? No, I'm ready to go to Vegas. Yeah, that's true. We are going to Vegas tomorrow. I think it'll be fun. You ready? Are, are we going to find some people to interview while we're there? Maybe. Record a podcast? Maybe we should. Uh, maybe we can record the podcast of all the shame that I feel after I lose all my money on betting it all on red <laughs> or odd. <laughs> I would bet it all on full scale. I think that'd be... Or Stackify or Gigabook. I think those would be good bets. Yeah, maybe. Not on red or black. Maybe. Yeah, you know, one, uh, it, other than never getting away from the table when you're on a heater, um, I, I think the best gambling advice I ever got was wait by the roulette wheel until something weird happens near it and then bet it all on odd. I'm more worried about you going and buying a bunch of sneakers. Now, I'm gonna, I might go to the Supreme store and buy some hype. I'm scared about that. Speaking of hype and promo, um, we have a special guest today that's going to give us a little background on it and I, I'll let you introduce him. All right. So today we have Chris Horsfield with us and I guess I would just describe you as an entrepreneur more than anything. Um, so welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So Chris, um, speaking of being an entrepreneur, what would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I would say, uh, originally I, I, uh, I started off in my twenties, bought my first house when I was 23 and kind of like grew up way too fast and learned quickly that, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, researched, uh, several different investment strategies, went out and bought a book, 5,000, um, companies to start for under $5,000 and immediately went through about 10 of them and failed. And yeah. that, that was a, that was a great experience. Uh, uh, my first. What kind of businesses are on that list? Oh, Five like thousand businesses, vending, vending businesses, you, you name it. Like it's lawn just, mowing, just yeah. like, like they're all they're all low capital, uh, low risk, but it, it really teaches you, um, you know, what uh, what things you really need to look for and how to how to make sure that you really have, actually have a good business plan for ROI. Were, were you selling like rainbow vacuum cleaners? It was more like or spiral gumball machines. Uh, <laughs> you know, machines. You, you watch yeah. kids walk in and they they get the gratification of watching yeah. fall fall all the way to the bottom. So yeah. I did the research and uh, you could buy 400 gumballs at 33 uh, 0.13 cents a piece. So, you sold the whole dome. It's $400. Yeah. Well, there's people that go around and just fill vending machines, right? I actually know a guy that had a gumball business and he made a shitload of money on it. Yeah. You're talking about a little gumball and getting 25 cents for it. Yeah. Now he had to buy a whole lot of gumball machines and, you know, figure out where to put them and stuff like that. So you said you went through all 5,000? Uh, no, I went through about <laughs> five uh, to really figure out uh, what was going to work and, uh, you know, had a, had a couple you know, really small ones that, that I, that I sold off, but that was my, my first experience. Um, and then actually focused more on real estate because that seemed to be the one that had the least amount of work at the time. But you've also always been a software developer, right? Yeah. I originally came to Kansas city about, uh, 25 years ago, went to, um, UKC computer science school and have been in IT my whole life. Okay. So, but you were doing some entrepreneurial things back then outside of IT and then yeah uh, I was still in college then so okay. I was trying to um, 
get my feet wet for the real world while studying. I did the same thing. I was just trying to sell, uh, it was like multi-level marketing of selling vitamins online instead. So man, I tried a bunch of stuff. You know, I think the the very first hustle I ever had was, um, you know, my parents had a house that backed up to a golf course and we used to find golf balls in the yard. Um, and also there was a, a pond on that hole that they lived on. So, you know, people dropping golf balls in it. Um, so we'd go out and, you know, walk, we'd take, take, walk around in our shorts and you step on the golf balls in the mud. Yeah. Reach down, pick them up, reach them up, take them up to the tee box, you know, three for a dollar. It's a big day if we made like 12 bucks. Yeah, I can lose those golf balls just as well as I can lose the expensive ones. So it works for me. Yeah, that worked. And, you know, we have a lemonade component to that. Oh, nice. A little vodka in it, too. Uh, no, no, but yeah, that wouldn't have been the worst idea. And we used to get thrown off the golf course quite a bit. You know, the, the course marshal would come by and that was like a shakedown. <laughs> so, so how did you then transition? You worked as a software developer for a while. And then how did you become kind of a technology entrepreneur? Then? You know, um, it, it was actually by chance. Uh, I, while working a full-time job, I had other people approach me. They they knew, you know, at the time that I could work on some other projects and asked if I was willing to do some freelance work. And that's pretty much where it got started. Uh, people coming to us with problems and needed affordable solutions. So, and so what, where did you start with that? Like what, what company was that? Uh, so that, that was originally, um, a company called need it, have it that I started back in 2009. Um, we did anything from, you know, uh, uh, WordPress sites or um, some simple sites to complex um, pharmacy-related applications or healthcare. And um, at, at the time, we didn't discriminate. If something somebody came to us with a problem, we would try to find something that was affordable in their budget. What I did learn was that you can't really sustain yourself whenever you're um, only having clients that are coming to you for really cheap startup yeah. projects. Yeah. Well, and the other problem that I always hear from from guys that do that sort of uh, consulting work is you either spend all your time doing the work or all the time trying to find the work, and you can't do them both at the same time, right? And yeah. If you're, you know, if it's just you, you got to keep, you know, filling the pipeline of the next projects to do. And if you're, you know, in the weeds doing the work, then you look up and next thing you know, you don't have work to do because you didn't spend time selling stuff. So that's always the, the struggle, but. Uh, so how did you venture from there to uh, front flip and some other things that you've done? Uh, so when I, my first job out of college, uh, I worked at uh, Ernst & Young. And at the time, I, uh, the CEO of that company knew me from, you know, 20 years later, he was investing in, in uh, front flip. Okay. And uh, got a LinkedIn connection with the opportunity. And I saw the, the layout and the plans of what that product was going to look like and, and how the business model worked. So at the time, it was, it was really exciting because um, there wasn't a lot of uh, really cool apps out there. With uh, As mobile adoption was happening, there weren't a lot of cool apps that you could interact uh, with small to medium-sized uh, restaurants um, and convenience stores. So this, so this business in this app was called Front Flip. Tell us more about what it did. So, so the uh, the uh, benefit to the the consumer was it was an engagement platform where you had a chance to win something every time you came in to drive traffic into uh, to businesses. So, for instance, if you went into uh, Minsky's Pizza, 
you could scratch off and maybe win a free pizza or 50% off something that they were, uh, was a new menu item, which helped increase sales because, you know, some people go into Minsky's purely for pizza and not know that they have amazing wings. Like that, that was one of the coolest things. You have the best We proved that. Yeah. We proved that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of their wings now. Yeah. Like, um, so, so the, uh, the other cool component of this is if you haven't visited in a long time, we had automated campaigns that were running that, um, you know, if, if a customer hadn't been in a week or a month, you'd get another coupon and then it kind of learned the behavior of the person to help, uh, incentivize them to come back in. So that was uh, where like push notifications that the user would get on their phone and tell them that, hey, come back. Yes. Exactly. And this was around 2011, 2012? Yeah, that was 2011. At the time, there were, there were a couple of competitors out in the space, uh, Five Star. And, uh, you know, Shopkick did a similar kind of thing, but they weren't really focused on uh, the restaurant industry or fast casual. Uh, I mean, it, in some ways, it's a little bit similar to like Foursquare checking in, right? Except this was more about you had a chance to get special offers and stuff like that. Yeah, and I'd say the uh, the consumer gratification of scanning and scratching off the digital yeah. scratch card, and then sometimes you'd have a second chance to win something. So uh, if you didn't if you didn't uh, win the first time, if you answered a few questions and gave some feedback, you could maybe want something a second time. So I remember back when, I don't know, it was 2012 or 2013 or whatever it was, it seemed like Front Flip was everywhere, at least here in Kansas City. Like every store you would go to, they would have little placards on your table or around the restaurant. It would say, you know, you could go into the Front Flip app and do it. And I honestly didn't do it very often, but I did do it once in a while. And uh, so back in, and I was using a QR code. Yeah, that was like a high road bluff for people back then. Like was, no one yeah. really even knew what that was, did they? Yeah, and 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 it was interesting because you go through the phases of you know rolling out that uh, that table square is what we called it. Yeah, um, and just how the technology evolved over time. Originally, every location had their own unique QR code, oh, so you what? can imagine uh, from piloting this the the original costs uh, of rolling that out to a store and beta for the MVP got expensive because you had to have somebody collate and print that um, and then make sure that it gets shipped to the right location so that, you know, you're, you're giving that data analytics back to that specific location. So as we grew uh, to over 2000 uh, businesses in, in those first couple of years, we were, realized were we those went, all local or did this start to yeah, we started start off, uh, local? And then we did do a couple of uh, uh, on, on foot uh, salespeople in Dallas, we we would go down there and uh, you know test out those two markets. But we we eventually expanded to where we had thirty six states uh, of active um, locations. With yeah, didn't you guys do a big pilot with like McDonald's or some big company? Uh, we did one with uh, Anheuser Busch. We built their uh, Bud Light mobile uh, music first app. So they had fifty concerts in fifty states all on the same day. And oh, wow. Every I remember the artist part. Yeah, it was pretty cool. We we had a, there was a couple of competing things. I used to be in the ticket business, so we, oh yeah, we, we partnered with Live Nation. So yeah, you know the ticket oh, yeah. business. Yeah, uh, there were some competing ones too. Samsung had a, a similar one around that time. They called Samsung Crush. I remember it because I got to go see Jay Z with like a thousand people. I thought that was really cool. You're not cool. 
I didn't say I was cool. I just said that you know the show was cool. That is cool. I haven't seen it. Yeah, concert, but it, he's going to be a guest in here soon, or or not. You just need to stay <laughs> tuned and see what happens. I'm not going to let that cat out of the bag yet. Well, I already booked Beyonce. I just got figured he'd come with her. Yeah. So yeah, I was kind of hoping you get Paul Rudd out here. You know, since he's already, I think local. we can make that happen. I, I think, think we could too. I just think, think we might need to ask him. I don't think he's yeah. going to come find. I've golfed with Sudeikis' mom and or my dad before, so they're local too. Did they beat you as bad as your wife did? Let's not talk about it. So, <laughs> so you joined this company after been around a year or two, right? And so, did you kind of then come in as like the technical co-founder? Yeah, I was. So I was the first uh, IT employee as the CTO. There were uh, five people that were full time in the company at the time. The the, the two founders uh, that brothers and they had some some sales guys um their their mvp product was a complete redesign um you know we were going with a different strategy where you know we're able to um, give a one-stop shop for for the uh, business owner to go in and, and uh, be able to set up their prizes send automated gifts with push notifications and drive that traffic into the store and uh, basically um uh, learn what menu items are, are working and what aren't, which was really beneficial if you think about it. Because if you're a, a restaurant owner and you're trying to push new menu items and, and you're, you're just going off your point of sale system, you're not really going to get the feedback that you need from the consumer to know uh, if they liked it or not and why. Um, and maybe it's not necessarily the food. Maybe it was the service. Maybe it was um, something else. And being able to give that real-time feedback to the business owner was a big differentiator for for that product at the time. So you were the the technical co-founder, the, as we always say. We're all just looking for something to do, right? Just a guy looking for something to do. Uh, and I think most of our listeners, the, the problem most of them have is actually finding you, right? Like there's people all over the place that have an idea or uh, they're willing to invest in some idea but it's trying to find that technical co-founder, right? The the tech lead that can make this thing happen. So do you have any suggestions for our listeners on how to find you? You're like a unicorn. Um, you know, that, that's a tough that's one. That's a lot because, of pressure, Matt. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, that, I mean, that you, you wait, you wait off you. But, um, I, I'd say, uh, I'd say giving people a chance, you know, um, it, it's really hard to find somebody that has an entrepreneurial mind and a, uh, technical mind, yeah. But but if you give somebody that's a, a technically gifted a chance, I think you know with the right uh, the right opportunities, they they could succeed. And I, I'd say I was fortunate that I tried in several of my own business ventures early on, whenever I was young, to be able to uh, get the experience to know what should work for a product. Um, you know, have it. I'd say you had the entrepreneurial spirit. You just needed the chance. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's right. That, you know, finding someone that is, you know, a developer, you know, your CTO or someone like that, that's also entrepreneurial by nature. Uh, the personality styles that usually come with either aren't usually, they usually don't overlap. So I, I would say if anything, where it's finding people that are opportunistic, right? Like I I would have always described myself as opportunistic. Like I worked a full-time job, but I was always wanting to do side projects and do this and do that. And like, I was always out there and I wanted to do more. Right. And maybe I never thought about it as 
being entrepreneurial, but you're also you're also like seventy times more outgoing than most technical. That is true. Yeah, and that, and that's that. With that comes uh, a more uh, you're you have more aversion to risk. You know, like you're you're not afraid to take right. a chance, and that's where a lot of that entrepreneurial spirit comes from. And it was it was for me like when I started my my first you know real company. It was guy asked for some help. I'm like, I don't know, maybe I can help you. Let's give it a shot. You know, and you just try, right? Like it was just, it was an opportunity. No idea what I was doing, no idea where it was going to go. But it, it's so hard for, for, for people to find those technical people that will, they can, you know, latch onto their wagon and start these companies. So it's, all, it's always a big topic. So that's why I asked the question. So, I was also the technical co-founder. Somebody found me. Matt, yeah, Matt, Matt we, we've all we've all been looking for you. Yeah, how do we find a unicorn like you, Matt? Uh, Give us the secret. Give us the road, Matt. For me, you had where to go does that to, rainbow end? You had to go to a random car dealership and say, "Do you know a computer programmer?" I've been doing. Like, I've been doing that for guy. like. I've been doing that for like six years. I haven't found shit. What's like, up with I that? know a guy. So, did you shop at that car dealership or how? No, I help. I help write a uh, little software program for them, and so. Another guy was uh, looking to start a business and actually asked them if uh, they knew anybody who could help them do some software stuff. And I was like, yeah, matter of fact, I did. The rest of it was history. Weird how those things happen. But you were smart enough to be a real partner, though, and have have ownership, right? That, yeah. That's, the, so that's you, where I think a lot of uh, technical co-founders shy away unless they, they can really understand that model and have gone through it. Um, well, so how did that work for you? So when you joined Frontflip, did you end up owning very much of it or like a real minority share? It was a minority share. A yeah. Minority uh, share. I actually invested in it too, uh, my own money. So okay. uh, it was, uh, it was definitely a learning experience watching the sale process because that, that was something that I'd never been, uh, a partial owner in and, and gone through the sale process. I've been at a couple other companies where I worked for them and they got acquired, but didn't have that visibility. Um, yeah. So I, I want to talk more about that, but I think first of all, tell us a little more about what happened with front flips. You, you create this product, Mitch really had a couple, couple thousand restaurants and 36 States. It's going well. It was everywhere in Kansas city. You, you guys must've had like the vast majority of restaurants using it. Um, what happened? So, so at a, at a point in time, um, you know, we were looking at, at the roadmap uh, and brought in a, a group of uh, Groupon sales folks okay. to help really grow this, you know, past 36 states. And what, what we were looking at was um, the model for charging per location, um, you know, to get, to get revenue uh, positive was going to be difficult unless we charged for the setup and made it seamless so that the... Uh, the actual entrepreneur or owner of the business could seamlessly set up their own and onboard their own uh, companies. And the complexity of that is uh, uh, back to the QR code thing. We realized, okay, if you bring on, like for instance, we had a 256 location McDonald's franchise in Philadelphia. They wanted to be able to group all their locations together and, um, be able to, to send out prizes at the group level because an individual fr franchise owner might have different menu items than somebody else. If you've ever watched uh, founder 
the McDonald's story. Just watched that two days ago. The yeah. same things happened in there where somebody else might sell chicken, right? And you can't yeah, get I had chicken in McDonald's in Sydney. Yeah, they do that regionally. Like when I live in the Southwest, you can get a green chili cheeseburger. Yeah, I, I like it. their chicken, actually. I was like, if you. Fried if chicken's you know always chicken, good. It's hard to screw it up. Let's yeah. be honest. That's true. <laughs> So um, if imagine if you were sending out prizes to all of Philadelphia and, you know, you gave away a free chicken sandwich and you go in and that particular location didn't serve chicken, yeah, sure. then it, it makes it, uh, it makes it more difficult. So we had to tailor the software to you to where you could target group specific prizes, but rather than use a QR code uh, per location, we geofenced the QR code and, grouped it by location. So every location's in a group. Um, but what we were doing was tracking to see when you scanned what the location you were closest to. So we could map that user to that location. Right. Sure. And then, you know, when you register, there's a couple of pieces of information that you have to put in like your postal code of where you live. Right. So we know the distance you're traveling from lunch, uh, dinner, um, and whether or not you're at work, because, you know, obviously people aren't going to go to the same location right. 30 minutes so, from their home. Every so time. how did you guys continue to grow then? Like what, what kind of happened with the business? So we, we looked at doing promotions um, and uh, that, that kind of really helped a lot on the, on the revenue side. So as you know, with every sales cycle, you know, it's dependent on budget, depending on uh, actually in our space, there was a lot of, uh, turnover and exchange or acquisition of local mom and pops, which was new to me. I had no idea how much uh, actual change in management and ownership there is uh, with local restaurants. With franchises, it didn't happen a lot. But if you look at some of the new uh, restaurants around here where it might have been, uh, um, if, you, if you guys know any of the restaurants out south, like uh, there's a couple of taco places that were really good that just closed down. Or they changed management. Okay. So you're you're basically reintroducing yourself to that customer at that point to um, see if they want to stay on right. or not. And so a lot of turnover in your in your customer base was a big problem for you. Yeah, and it was mostly in local. But what we saw on the on the national side was uh, we were having success there because uh, the decision makers. Uh, a lot of times were the franchise owners, which, okay. which kind of helped. But then every once in a while you'd get into uh, having to have corporate sponsorship to say, I want to um, have every McDonald's be available right. for this promotion. Right. It, that creates a whole separate gauntlet to run through. That's It's kind of frustrating, I'm sure. So how long did it take? You said something like being in 2000 places. Was that right? Yeah. There was a, 2,500 locations on the platform. If I got the count right, it, uh, around a thousand of them were in the Kansas City area. Wow. How, how long did it take to get to that? Um, I, I want to say that was three years. Okay. But we. That's still pretty aggressive. I mean, what, 800 a year on average? That's a lot. Yeah. We, at the, I think by, by 2015, we had. 2 million users, a million on Android, iOS roughly split. It was, it was approaching 2 million users, uh, which at, at the time that was a pretty good number. Yeah. Um, if you look at, if you look at moviepass.com and you know, some headlines lately, uh, I was talking to a buddy. He was like, 
people what their their analytic data. I was like, well, they only have two million users. Uh, so from a from a um, acquisition perspective, looking at how people um, go and shop and buy movie tickets, I would think you know a Netflix that has a hundred million isn't going to look at somebody with two million. But if they're growing a million every year, that's what they're going to be looking for because they want the next you know um, Snapchat, Instagram. Sure, yeah, product. So over time, as this grew, you eventually uh, exited this company in what 2016. So we actually got acquired by uh, a lottery gaming company called Shouts in uh, 2015. Um, they were they were really interested in the, the scratcher technology because in the United States right now, uh, you know, it's still you still have to go purchase a lottery ticket from a convenience store, a local supplier, um, and it's not it's not legal to sell it online. But in other countries right now, we're, we're behind where you can actually purchase a lottery ticket because it's a live draw. You know, you're, you're just uh, solidifying the numbers back to a centralized uh, lottery database. So what they wanted was that uh, the scratch-off technology, there was uh, patent pending on, on the scratcher and uh, the gifting technology. Huh. So you guys actually patented doing a scratch off ticket. Yeah. So so they had uh, they interesting. Had, um, early on, uh, one of the one of the co founders, uh, Matt, he he had uh, looked early on to get those uh, patent pending in place back in 2011. And uh, another interesting thing was they owned uh, the trademark for G Plus, which was really cool. And at the time, like Google Plus was yeah. coming out with that, and, and it was actually trademarked by them early on. So there was uh, there was some stuff going on between Google and and Frontflip where they um, had a settlement giving that name back huh. to them, which was That's pretty cool. awesome. I was like, that was kind of an interesting experience. Huh. There's a few things I picked up here at the show. One, I think we should have an employee loyalty program where when you show up to work, you can win a prize every day. And I'm really into this scratch off thing. So, you know, like here every episode. So, and I don't know if you know this, but Matt and I used to do Rochambeau, you know, rock, paper, scissors. He lost like 15 episodes in a row, which I, we were still baffled by. We just quit after that. But I feel like the scratch off thing would be good. You I know? might have a chance. Well, yeah, but, you know, it'll be like you have to read Million Dollar Better. Oh shit! Or, or you know, you have me homework assignments now, and no. I get a, a prize as a scratch-off ticket. Is that no, that's not the intention here. I mean, you, Matt, you get what you get. The okay. ticket, the ticket does not lie. You get what you get, and you don't throw a fit. It, okay, yeah, I'm not really sure. If you, you know, for those of you listening, if you want to uh, join us on the Facebook uh, startup hustle chat and give us some ideas as far as what we can give away on these scratch offs. I think it would be pretty interesting. I like some balloon. Oh God. Oh my God. Wait a minute. Oh no. I don't like this idea. You and balloon. Balloon, uh, Chris is a Filipino delicacy, which is really just the grossest thing you've ever <laughs> think of. It's like a fermented duck egg. Yeah. It's gross. So are you guys taking meals over there next time? No, no, no. no, no. It's great. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not, Someone's hey, a, did you hear I found a Filipino food truck here? Really? We're going to cater in some Filipino food. So. I don't really even eat Filipino food when I'm in the Philippines. You're going to eat so some chicken adobo sure. and you're going to love it. 
by the way, I'm going to take you to a taco truck in Vegas this weekend. It's like the most lowbrow place in the world. It's like in between a strip club and a rim store. Oh, perfect. And, but it's got the greatest tacos ever. Every time I go to well, Vegas, I... We are going to have some Filipino food delivered in the office next week. I I'm in. We're working on it. Working on it. I'm in. Well, so Chris, what's next? So you're not doing front flip. You're doing some other stuff now. Like, uh, I mean, are you... Yeah. Yeah. So right, right now we're... Uh, we're, we're growing in the, the medical space. We, we found uh, a couple of niche products that we uh, have put a, a lot of... When you uh, say we, in. is this the same people you were doing front flip with? Uh, a couple of developers uh, that were uh, founded the company with me were at front flip, but um, now it's uh, just myself and uh, Chris Wheaton, another, another partner of mine that I actually met him... Um, uh, it was around 2009, uh, working for another startup called Able Incorporated that got bought by Ascend Learning. So he was a, a front-end developer there, very talented guy, like picks up frameworks, like I, it just blows my mind how fast he can, he can pick those up. But, so sounds like you've caught the entrepreneurial bug. Yes. So you, you also have a consulting business, right? Yes. So you have a consulting business, but then you've you've created a, a couple pro- products as well. So what what were those called again? Uh, Therapy Stack and Cloud Intake. And yes. the the premise behind those is automation of uh, forms for uh, patients. You know, if if you go to the doctor, you, you'll still find that even if you have like my charts with Ku, you'll fill out a couple things online, and you still have to sign like forty pieces of paper and sometimes duplicate information. So what we did was we. Uh, created a mobile onboarding process where you only have to enter the information once and it's not redundant. And then it's all electronic. So you're saving those paper costs. Um, and then we do integrations into EMRs and EHRs. I feel like that will just confuse the entire medical staff everywhere that I go. They will be like, what do you mean we don't have to fill this out for the 40th time? I hate paperwork. And people, people still like to scan things. Uh, they, they don't like to take pictures of them. But it's it's going to take a lot of work to really change over the next five years. But I, I think you'll, you'll start to see it with telemedicine, uh, you know, the ability to prescribe and, and help people through video chat, for instance. Yeah, we've had, actually had some guests on the show that were, uh, you know, related to some similar things uh, but we're talking about you know the telehealth um, you know being able to well I know that uh, with our my family's existing healthcare provider they have an option where we can actually talk to a doctor you know over a video and awesome. I mean that's great I mean that's a step in the right direction I mean, if you have kids yeah how, how many times have your kids got hurt and it's a, it's the choice of I need to go to the emergency room right now and is anybody available but if you could just get on a chat service with a certified professional we did one where uh, one of my kids had pink eye and uh, yeah it was it was you know it was easier for us it seemed to be cheaper for the healthcare provider and that was a big that was a big plus. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of opportunity around the HIPAA hosting of that too, and the security model um, where you see kind of Amazon's really trying to push forward on that. Uh, where you know, ten years ago, people would have never hosted anything on AWS that was healthcare related. Is there anything Amazon doesn't do? I have no idea. We're going to talk about that some next week. We're going to have an ongoing series with our uh, local Amazon expert, Andrew Morgans. I just know I buy everything there. 
Yeah. That's all I know. Yeah, apparently 43% of anything online does and growing. So what, did they just have like a $2 billion quarterly profit? It's all about trust, right? Like they're going to tell me right up front, do they have this in stock? And I know if I'm going to get it in two days. You know what? You have no idea. Like you actually have this thing. That's something I want to to ask Andrew about because I feel like now when I look at the Amazon app, it's like you can have it tomorrow. And then I go to check out. It's like two days from now, it'll be delivered. Like you know, you know where the market's going with that. My my sister uh, owns one of the the top Amazon stores in, in Florida, and now they're you can actually hire drivers uh, as Amazon slash your mm-hmm. employee and go and pick up other people's packages. Just like mm-hmm. if you think of the Uber concept yeah. for package delivery. Yeah, they do that here in town because I get random people that show up to my house to deliver all the crap my wife buys on Amazon all the time. I don't like that, actually. It's like unmarked cars. I'm sitting there in my office. My home office is right near my front door. We we talked about to Andrew about some of that. Yeah. Um, I do find it interesting. I like the technology, though, when I get an email that says it's been delivered and I see a picture of it on my porch. Yeah, that's cool. You know, then I get to... Yeah, that is random. Or your ring doorbell tells you because Amazon owns that, too. Yeah, I haven't gone that far, but we do have a bunch of Amazon cloud cam uh, uh, that we can, you know, see what's going on in our Cebu office. Yeah. Yeah. I've been putting them in your office too. That's okay. There's nothing exciting. It's so boring. I'm usually in your office. Yeah, I know. I'm like, where's Matt? Where's Matt? Where's Matt? And I turn around, you're laying on my couch complaining about being a a startup founder. You're like, oh my God, this is so terrible. But, you know, it's okay. We, we started a club for founders that we, we call Beers and Tears. It's a safe place where founders can just show up and cry or get drunk or do both. <laughs> yeah. So so what's what's next for your two new startups that you're you working here? Are they kind of MVP stage? You got customers? What's yeah, we, we have customers uh, for, for four years on, on the uh, therapy uh, EHR product. Uh, oh, nice. The, uh, the cloud intake, we, we've got a couple of uh, beta um, right now, but really, really looking to grow that. Um, I know there's some competition in the space, but we're uh, we're able to move faster because uh, we're technical co-founders, so it kind of helps yeah. out. <laughs> you know, competition isn't that scary. It's all about who has the best customer acquisition strategies is really what matters. So health, healthcare is tricky. Um, you know, just all the compliance. Uh, I have a feeling it's just getting worse just because of the data. And, you know, I'm sure that's a whole other episode. Well, man, I'm going to go figure out how many times we're going to go to this taco drug in Vegas. Yeah. And I'm going to fax you our Could, travel itinerary. Should we do like we Rochambeau have... in Vegas? I mean, I feel like there's <laughs> only, many, if it, only if it's for cash. There's got to be some kind of setting involved with this I, I, in Vegas. Yeah. I just realized I got to, I got to bring the live stream. Like, I got to bring the live like stream. Like who has to pay for the hotel or who has to pay for the plane ride or something. Mm, I see. I see where you're going with this. This is a sense. Chris, this is what's called a setup, <laughs> and uh, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or like the start days for dinner or something like. What, what happened last time, man? I lost. I yeah, did you guys play the credit card game? No, you do that. No, let's no. talk about. Let's talk okay. about that. I was ready to sign off, but I want to hear. Yeah. I want to hear about this. So I, I used to get, uh, when I was when I was younger, we go out with a group of friends, and everybody throws their credit card in a hat at the end of the day, and then the waiter or waitress staff, you say either the first person selected or the last person is, and, and they get to pick. And then that person, this card comes out, pay the bill. 
We I'm just, just going to put all of his credit cards out. That's going to work great. How many of my credit cards do you <laughs> I got have? A couple of them. You do, actually. Yeah, I, do. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. I, I, I'd have to see the cards the whole time. I think you're up to some sneaky stuff, Watson. Cards up my sleeves. Yeah. Uh, so we're going <laughs> we're, we're bringing Rochambeau back in Vegas. We're right? going to have to. I only want to do it if it's like 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 we're shooting craps in the alley. Like we're going to go find like a low ground, like next to <laughs> the taco truck. Yeah. Oh, that's yes. And we're on. We'll Rochambeau for who buys lunch at the taco truck. No, the dude, the taco truck didn't open for lunch. It didn't even open until like nine o'clock. I mean, are you kidding? It's like it really is the greatest. But I, I have a, um, I, I did a, we did a. JC Lopez and I, the founder of Urban yeah. Necessities, we okay. I ate at the taco truck at least twenty times last year. So it's, I'm not kidding. We know the phone number. The taco truck has a phone in it. Um, right, well, we're gonna find out. You're talking this thing way up, dude. It really. It, do you think I would have gone to the same taco truck twenty times? In a yeah, because I like tacos. Yeah. Well, yes. There's that part, but they're like different. They're not like they're like the little round tacos. You know, like, I don't know. How does it compare to Taco Bell? It, it's it's nowhere near it, Matt. It's just nothing can compete with Taco Bell. Okay, that's what great. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Chris, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate the input. And, uh, you know, I'm going to get ready to fax map our travel itinerary. Okay, we, we were determining that scamming and faxing is the best way. I mean, in Cebu, we did have a fax machine in our room, so I need to thank I'm going to post a picture of the technological setup in our hotel rooms in Cebu. You, you will very quickly understand that square monitors and fax machines do exist. They still exist, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to make sure to let everyone know my fax number once I arrive. So okay, send yeah, it post it everywhere. Anyway, I'm ending this shit. I'm All right, see ya. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit StartupHustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.